Thanks so much, Kimberly, for creating that and then your desire to share it with us this morning. We appreciate you doing that. Let's look to God in prayer again. Thank you, O oh God, for this opportunity to gather together as your people, to look into your word, to celebrate with the early disciples of your coming, and then to know that, the, that you walk this way, to give of your life so that we might have life. Thank you, O oh God. Through Christ we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Time to celebrate. Most people love to celebrate. Most people love a parade. When the World Series teams come home to their hometown, there's usually a parade to for and for the hometown to see their heroes in the flesh. And also to experience the confetti coming down and swirling around them. Nothing like it to have this special and wonderful celebration. Much better than watching it on TV. And on New Year's Day, there are parades to celebrate the coming of the new year and to celebrate the opening day and, and what will transpire in the, as the time moves on. When our son, Devon, was in high school, he played drums in the marching band. And because we wanted to support him and affirm him in this endeavor, we went to watch many, many parades. One of those I will never remember, I'll never forget, I should say. I will always remember the parade in the middle of June in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. And like I said, it was the middle of June. It was there early. We were there early in the morning, had driven a couple hours to, to get there. And the front came in and the weather turned immediately colder. The temperature dropped. So therefore, to try to stay warm, we went to the local department store and bought some blankets to wrap ourselves in as we watched the parade. We wanted to stay at least somewhat warm as we shared in that experience. Now, in this psalm, the Psalm 118 that we will be looking at, the psalmist wastes no time in jumping into the middle of the call to celebrate, the call to rejoice. And in fact, as one looks at this psalm, in Psalm 118, the first verse and the last verse are exactly the same, calling one to rejoice because of the steadfast love of the Lord, the continuing presence of God. And that forms in what scholars call an inclusio, and there, this is found many times in the scriptures where an inclusio is found between a section or to begin and to end a section of the verses. And so the psalmist says 
in verses 1 and 2. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love, or some translations have, his steadfast love endures forever. Let all Israel repeat, his faithful love endures forever. The psalmist knows how to celebrate and how here he encourages all of Israel to give praise and celebration to God for his faithful or his steadfast love will continues, continues all of life and even into the next life. Continue to all time and also eternity. Later, in this book of Psalms, in Psalm 136, all the verses, all 26 verses of that particular psalm have this refrain, have these words that his steadfast love or his faithful love endures forever. Encouraging Israel to give praise and thanksgiving to God. So at this time, I will invite you to to turn either in your pew Bibles to page 606, or you can read the scripture on the screen, and I will invite uh, Anna Nault to come forward to read this passage of scripture for us. Psalm 118, starting with verse 19. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this. And it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord. For he is good, his love endures forever. Thank you, Anna. In verse 19, the psalmist invited people to come to the temple, to come into the presence, to come before God. So we enter the temple by living godly lives as we celebrate and as we worship. The psalmist says that is how the gates of the, uh, the gates of the temple are opened, by giving ourselves in godly lives and godly living. 
So worship and celebration is not simply singing and worshiping with our words and with our lips. We worship as we live and as we walk in righteousness and holiness. That is what our worship is. That's what our worship is about. As we look at this psalm in Psalm 118, this psalm or parts of this psalm are quoted a number of times in the New Testament scriptures. During his last week in Jerusalem, before he was crucified, Jesus used this psalm and to close the story of the vineyard in Mark chapter 12. We'll look in a little bit at Mark chapter 11, which is the story of Palm Sunday and the story of Jesus riding into, into Jerusalem, which is what we want to celebrate today or are celebrating. But then in Mark chapter 12, Jesus used this particular psalm to close out this story that he told, the story of the vineyard. So the, sto- the psalm is used as an opportunity to celebrate, to, to proclaim Hosanna, not to celebrate what humanity has accomplished, not to celebrate who we are, but to celebrate our great God, to celebrate this God whom we love, whom we worship, and whom we serve. Now, in verse 22, the New Testament applies that particular verse to to Jesus, and that's the answer to the first uh, blank there if you're taking your notes on on the bulletin. The psalmist says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. So, Jesus is now that one. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Jesus, the focus is on Jesus, the one whom we celebrate and the one whom then is, needs to go the way of suffering to the cross. And more about that in a little bit later. So we'll look now at Mark chapter 11, and that's on page 1003 in the Pew Bible. It will also be in the overhead, and I'll ask uh, Anna to come forward and to read that passage from Mark 11, verses 1 to 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied to a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. 
When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Thank you. Thank you very much, Anna. So Jesus walked the King's Highway going into the city of Jerusalem. And this was a special place going there to the temple where the kings of Judah were, were crowned to begin their reign. And this is the place where, where Jesus was going. And in, in both of these journeys, Jesus, we might say, was leading a parade. Both the parade of celebration on Palm Sunday and then also the, the parade or the, the journey to the cross or the Via Dolorosa, as it is called. Jesus, in the midst of the celebration, in the midst of the crowd giving praise and acclamation and adoration to him as he is riding on the colt, Jesus, I believe, in his foreknowledge, is aware of the, the suffering that will await him in the journey to the cross. Jesus walked the way of sorrows also in this journey to the cross. The prophet Zechariah prophesied that the Messianic king would enter Jerusalem as a lowly prince of peace. Zechariah 9.9. The prophet says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Now the next uh, fill-in-the-blank is not on the PowerPoint, so I'll just tell you the answer. Earlier, Jesus refused to be honored as king, to be honored as king, and now he would be honored or is honored and announced as the king of kings, as the Lord of lords. So we see in this passage that Jesus is making plans to enter into the city of Jerusalem. Now it was not customary for pilgrims to enter into the city riding on a colt. So Jesus, by doing this, is fulfilling this prophecy of the Old Testament, fulfilling this prophecy found here in Zechariah, that by doing this, Jesus indeed is proclaiming that, yes, he is the one. He is the Messiah, that he indeed is the anointed one. Jesus evidently knew, uh, knew the owner of the colt, 
or perhaps some surmise that it may have even, this particular cult may have been owned by one of the disciples. But we also know that according to Numbers 19.2, an animal devoted to a sacred purpose must not have been used be prior, does not have been used in ordinary work. And so Mark states that no one, no one had ridden on this colt before. This colt was not, was not broken in, you might say. And so the bystanders were watching the disciples lose the colt. And even as Jesus predicted, the bystanders asked, what are you doing? And so the disciples told them what Jesus had instructed to say. And it's interesting to note that when they were informed, evidently they recognized that Jesus was the Lord because they didn't ask any further questions. Evidently their rejection or their concerns were answered. There were no further questions, simply that the Lord needs it. They offered no rebuttal at all. Not a word of protest. So this indeed was a time to celebrate. This was a grand and glorious occasion as Jesus on this Palm Sunday comes riding into the city. And the population of Jerusalem was about 30,000. But at the time of the Passover, when this took place, the residents made room for an additional 125,000. So Jesus, as the people and the disciples brought their cloaks, their, their coats, and some cutting down palm branches, they brought them to Jesus. Jesus sat upon the colt. Indeed, a delightful and a special, a wonderful time to celebrate. This was a momentous occasion. Yet for me, for me, it's a day of mixed emotion. On the one hand, I can rejoice and I feel the elation and the joy along with the crowds in seeing Jesus acclaimed and proclaimed as the Messiah, as the King of Kings. This Jesus having a parade. A delightful time, but it's also a time that I feel sad knowing what will happen in the future, knowing that he also needs to go the way of sorrows, the road of sorrows into the cross. As a child, I grew up hearing the story of the crucifixion, going to special services on Good Friday, And I couldn't understand why it was called Good Friday. That just did not seem to make any sense at all to me. On that day, Jesus was spat upon. On that day, his hair was pulled. He was flogged and then nailed to the cross. And certainly that was not a Good Friday. 
How can that be called good? And so we have both of these proclaimed, these parades. One, the parade on Palm Sunday, and the next, the way of sorrows to the cross. Last week in Pell City, Alabama, there was a horrible car accident. And when the police, Lieutenant Richard Woods, arrived at the scene, the situation was tense. Greg Garrison reported on his website, a heavy utility truck had collided with a car carrying two teenage girls who were on their way to soccer practice. The mangled car slid down an embankment into a ravine with, unfortunately, the utility truck on top of the car. The girls were trapped inside. And Woods was the first responder on the scene. And he was able to pull the 15-year-old out of the passenger side of the car, but the 16-year-old driver was still trapped. And Woods checked for fuel leaks that could cause an explosion and immediately summoned were rescue workers, an ambulance, and a wrecker. And when the rescue workers arrived with the Jaws of Life tool, Woods began then to saw the roof off the car to get to the driver, the driver who had a broken pelvis, lacerations, and other injuries. Woods worked diligently with the jaws of life, and then after doing that, he helped the firefighters who at that time were felling trees so that they could clear a path to the ambulance. And while Woods was helping to carry the felled trees out of the way, he began to experience chest pains and have difficulty. Woods, who was a former paramedic himself, was concerned that the other paramedics were too focused on him. He still turned and looked at the car and told us to go help the girls, Police Corporal Jesse Borgos said. Even to his last breath, he was concerned about the girls in that car. Woods, age 48, died of an apparent heart attack on Tuesday, March 17. Certainly, the two girls were overjoyed to be alive. They were overjoyed and grateful to be rescued. But they would have been sad and were sad when they learned that the police would gave his life in the midst of the operation. One of the police who helped to extricate them from the car died during this time. These are the emotions that I have on this day. I can rejoice and I can exclaim what Jesus has done in celebrating and rejoicing in what Jesus has done, but also grief, Grieve the suffering that Jesus needed to to have for our sake. Outside of the city of Jerusalem is the Mount of Olives, 
And as the crowd looked into the, into the distance, they saw the city of Jerusalem as they were on the Mount of Olives. The crowd praised and exalted the name of Jesus for the miracles. They witnessed the healing of the Gerasene demoniac. They witnessed the feeding of the 5,000. They witnessed the feeding of the 4,000. These miracles indeed were done in their midst. And that day, that day, as Jesus came riding, the crowd could not be contained. Their enthusiasm was indeed contagious. Earlier, Hosanna, the word Hosanna, meant a cry for help. Lord, please save us. But by this time that the people were using it, it was a praise and adoration to God, an expression of praise and thanksgiving. And notice also, Jesus, the King of Kings, is riding on a colt on a donkey. Now, he could have chosen a horse. He could have chosen a stallion. And if he rode on a horse, it would have put him above the height of the people. But instead, instead, he rode on a donkey, the symbol of servanthood and the symbol of humility. And notice also, by riding on the donkey, he was now at the height of the people. He wasn't all over, he wasn't higher than the people. He was with the people. The people who lined the streets of the city. But there was another parade that awaited Jesus. There was another experience for the, in addition to this time of celebration. And that was the, the path on the street of sorrows. From Gabbatha, the place where Jesus was judged to Golgotha, the place where he was crucified. And G Judas, like the rest of the disciples, expected his leader to be an earthly king. Like the disciples, he expected the leader to be an earthly king. Peter, one of the inner circle, denied that he ever knew this man, denied Jesus to the servant girl. So who wants to support a condemned person? Who wants to support a condemned man? So perhaps we cannot blame Peter for lying and wanting to get out of it. The sense of betrayal and the sense of abandonment is very strong, is emphasized in the Gospel of Mark. In fact, in chapters 14 and 15, the word translated delivered over is used 10 times just in those two chapters alone, chapter 14 and 15. So the people together, as they were now together on the way to the crucifixion, the people shouted, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate attempted to clear himself of this dilemma that he was in, attempted to clear himself of this and washed his hands as if by doing that, he would somehow 
clear, be cleared of his responsibility, of his complicity in this, in condemning him to death. The people thought that Jesus would be the king, that Jesus would, would expel the Romans. And the people, the ordinary people, simply wanted the Romans to be gone so that they could earn money to provide for their families. Mark presents in this passage, Mark presents the stark, unvarnished truth when he says, very simply, they crucified him. They crucified him. Mark doesn't go into a lot of, a lot of detail about the suffering as he was put on the cross. They offered him wine mixed with myrrh. Jesus refused that because he wanted to be fully present at the time of the crucifixion. And so he did not take the wine. And the people at the crucifixion cast lots to determine as to who would get his clothes. The Son of God had so little at the time of his death, yet they used chance to determine who would receive the few possessions that he did have. Jesus, this one who came riding on Palm Sunday, was now the one who was mocked as he hung there on the cross. And I'm sure we'll reflect more on that as we have our Saturday evening um, time together, our Easter Eve service. One could hardly believe that this was the same person who just a few days earlier had come to the acclaim of the crowds. And now, as Jesus gave his last breath, the Roman soldier shouted, Surely, surely, this was God's son. Jesus was mocked by all at the time of the crucifixion. In fact, all four Gospels include the fact that he was humiliated by being crucified between two bandits, by being crucified between two thieves. Those who crucified him also taunted him. The thieves, the rejects of society, even rejected Jesus on the cross. The king who came riding was now on the cross. He did not even belong to the others who were there with him. This time to celebrate. This parade ended at Golgotha. And all the friends of Jesus and all the people proclaiming him as Messiah, all the people proclaiming him as the King of Kings, all those people now were gone. Those who were waving the palm branches were gone. The Giants won the World Series last fall. And so there was a big parade in their hometown, the city of San Francisco, on October 31, 2014. A big celebration, even though it was the third time, I understand it was the third time in five years that the Giants had won the World Series, and so the third time for them to have a parade. But for Jesus, the Palm Sunday parade did not 
end on a happy note. He knew that there was another parade coming, another parade route that was staring him in the face. The Via Dolorosa to the cross. And when you travel in the city of Jerusalem, you can see the signs, you can see the places of the Via Dolorosa. You can follow that path, that, those steps of the path that is marked out for one, the stations of the cross of the way of the cross to the place of Golgotha. So I would invite you, I would invite you this week to walk with Jesus, to walk with Jesus on this Holy Week in the time of celebration, and then also as we come to the end of the week to walk with Jesus on the road to suffering. May we experience both of those this week, this year. Amen. We invite you now to share in the call to commitment that will be on the, on the PowerPoint. And in the congregational response, it uses a word that we are not very familiar with, um, and the word is arbiter. And this word simply means judge. And, and you'll see it when you come to it, but I'm telling you how to, pronounce, how to pronounce it. God turns things upside down and inside out, choosing what we reject as the centerpiece of the kingdom. Together, God, we will look to you as the arbiter of faithful living in an uncertain world. We'll share in a closing song.